plate or ship. We didn't get as far as what I thought we made last week. Uh, however, we're going to continue on and uh, we're going to talk. I'm going to talk quickly. So I need you to listen quickly this morning. Can you do that? And can you turn the speed of your ears up just a little bit? And I want to talk, turn the speed of my tongue up a little bit. And we're going to cover quite a bit of territory this morning. But I'm excited how God is going to teach us some doctrinal truth to some practi uh, practical practices that we looked at last week. Look at what the Bible says in verse number two. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man, praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the a man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you, that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word this morning. God, I thank you for the practicality of it. And God, I pray that you would help us, please, to see your word, to see the truth of the word of God this morning, and that we will divide scripture rightly, and that you will help us, please, to have your heart, your wisdom. God, may we learn how to properly worship you, and to please you, and to bring glory to your radiant beauty this morning. And God will thank you for how you teach and guide and lead. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would soften our hearts this morning. I pray that you would help any hard places in our hearts to be turned into fallow ground or turned up into, uh, from fallow ground into soft, fertile ground this morning. And God will thank you for it. Bless, I pray once again, the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Give me your wisdom and your power, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Back in 2009, my family and I moved from one culture that we grew up in, in, of course, the U.S., and moved to a culture in which we did not know. We moved to London, England, and, of course, became a part of society here. When we moved here, there was a lot of changes, <laughs> There was a lot of things that changed in our lives. When I grew up, I was always told that the thing in which we had no longer use for, it was now an empty, empty can or an empty wrapper or a useless object that had no further use, we would call that 
trash. However, when I got here, we found out that that's not the proper term. The proper English term is rubbish. I had to change a little bit of of vocabulary. In fact, a lot of vocabulary. Now, I... In order to put the rubbish, you don't put it in the trash can because that wouldn't go together. You put it in the rubbish bin. And so I had to learn not only that trash is now rubbish, but the trash can is now the rubbish bin. We had to learn a bit bit, bin liners and all the different things that go along with just some simple vocabulary terms. As growing up, I loved chocolate chip cookies. I still do. However, I learned that it's properly chocolate chip biscuits. What's up with that? And uh, why do you make it difficult for us Americans? And, uh, but you have the proper language, right? Uh, of course, in Scotland, they just call it circle disc, I'm sure. I don't think they have a proper name for it anymore. But, uh, you know, it's amazing in all the terminology and the differences that is between a couple of cultures. You know, we had to learn to adjust. We had to learn to dress in layers. We had to learn that you dress for summer, and then you put on another layer that is proper for spring or autumn, and then you put on another layer that's proper for winter. Because as you leave your house, it could feel like spring, and by the middle of the afternoon, it could feel like summer. And then by the time you get home, it's snowing outside, and you have to remember all the different layers and where you put those layers on throughout the day. I remember that, and that was an adjustment. Where I grew up, you could look at the weather and predict pretty close how you should dress. Here, you have absolutely no idea how you should dress. The weather forecasters are not forecasting. They are looking at the sky and saying, yes, it's going to do something today. What? We don't know, but it's going to do something. If you don't like the weather, uh, I remember Steve Atkins uh, telling me this years ago, uh, if you don't like the weather, wait 15 minutes and it's going to be something completely different and we have found that to be true as we all know here it's different we had to acclimate we had to understand that you had to be prepared to be unprepared uh in dressing and preparing for what might lie ahead with the weather here in the society we had to learn the culture and we still are saying pastor you're still learning i understand that and i'm trying but, you know, it's, it's a different, it, it's a different culture. But, you know, so often as we go around, my speech is, it, be, it betrayeth me, it berayeth me, as uh, 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 Peter would say, uh, or Peter Hurt say. It, it does, and often I hear questions, we're meeting someone, so why are you here? Why are you here? I get that question all the time, people are like, wait a minute, isn't it beautiful and sunny every single day from where you can? No, it's not. <laughs> In fact, today the weather forecast was not even to get above zero degrees Celsius where I'm from. Uh, so it's cold. It, it's a matter of fact, they're supposed to have lots and lots of snow, lots of snow uh, here in, uh, here today or tomorrow. I grew up with very extreme weather. It's much different. And so people say, well, why, why aren't you somewhere where it's nice and sunny? Why did you come here? Sometimes I'll approach it different ways, but normally I'll say something like this. When I was in seminary, God began to show me through a missions conference. 
the love that God had for his people here. That God had for a love for the people here in the UK. And God, in that missions conference, imparted some of that love to my heart. And because of that very love of God, it's brought my wife and my boys thousands of miles away from a different culture to here. And I'm so glad he did. I love seeing families, young families. I love seeing how God is brought and saved. Think of Liam down here. It would be worth every bit of work just to see that young boy that has trusted Christ as Savior. I'm so thankful. I'm so excited to see how God is blessing and teaching. I think of Harley, who had a privilege of putting his faith and trust in Christ. I think of the wolf family, the wolf pack, growing and seeing their family, of course, freshly united when we first came. It was Ruth and David and growing and seeing, of course, grandchildren saved. Oh, I remember those holiday Bible clubs in which your grandchildren put their faith and trust in Christ. Kate and Aaron, just a wonderful blessing to see Aaron baptized last year, or a year, a little over a year ago, and God working. I think of John Sellis, and I'll continue. Uh, <laughs> we love our Scottish man here, and uh, we love him just for the sake of, he has a target right on him, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. No, I thank God for his help and what a blessing he has been. Seeing his investment in his care. Uh, he's a very personable man and what a blessing it is to see how he welcomes and makes people feel so welcomed and loved. And he helps break down the walls that sometimes people have when they come into church, sometimes for the very first time. That's a skill, that's a talent. I thank God for the talent. I think of others, I think of the Elliots. Uh, they're away this morning, but what a blessing they've been. Thank God for them coming and the work that they've served. I think of other families, and oh, I wish we could go through all of them. I think of the Hyams this morning. I love them dearly. I thank God for God bringing salvation into their home and how God is working in their lives. God imparted a little bit of love to my heart, and I wouldn't change it for the world. I thank God for the privilege to be able to come and to have a place to worship and grow together with God's people. But why did I adjust? Why are we adjusting? Because God placed a love in my heart. And that love has moved us to make some external changes. Is it wrong to call rubbish trash or trash rubbish no there's no sin in calling it your thing but we've adapted to a culture we've adapted to the circumstance to help demonstrate the love that god has for people love moves us does it not the bible teaches us that love 
causes us to do things and moves us to do things that we did not think we would. I love how John puts it in 1 John chapter 4 when he says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, in verse number 15, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love does what? Casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And then we come to this phrase. We love him. Because why? He first loved me. He first loved us. Thank God he loves us. And because of that incredible love, God begins to teach and begins to mold and begins to shape us. And as he demonstrates and shows his incredible love to us, it is natural that our hearts begin to inspire or to be inspired to want to change to what God has designed. Why? Because he loves us and his love moves us. His love changes us. God is good. And he works all things together for good in our lives. Nothing that God designs is bad. It is all good. And God truly wants us to be assured and to be comforted in his love. But as we think about the comfort and knowledge of his love, May we go back to our text this morning. And as we read, would you be reminded this morning, would you allow the Holy Spirit of God to remind your heart, God is showing us how we can demonstrate our love to Him by acknowledging the design places He has for us in worship. God has brought us together. God is working in a powerful way in our hearts, in our lives, in our church. So many stories. So many incredible things that God is doing. There was a man that was saved recently, listening to a live stream, and is now part of a King James Bible preaching church in his area because of the ministry of the Word. Thank God for that. Thank God for him using his Word to help and to mature and to grow people in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And as we think about how God has designed us for worship and has designed us together to serve him, he shows us where our place is and how we can demonstrate and acknowledge that place. We saw in verse number three, we're not going to read it for sake, for sake of time, but we saw last week the thought of the knowledge of headship. We said this on verse number three, that, there, that Christ is the head. He is the head of the church, but he is also the head of the man. God demonstrates or tells us that the man is to follow the head or the authority that God has placed in his life. And God then has made the woman to follow 
her place, which is, according to Scripture, to follow or to give God uh, glory by following the men that God places in her life. God is truly an equal God. God doesn't love men more than women or vice versa. He loves the world. There is no favoritism with God. He shows no favor of persons. He is not a respecter of persons, the Bible says. He loves all of us. Last week, we used the illustration of our body. We are a triune body. We have a body, soul, and spirit. God is showing us and helping us to understand the place in which our roles are to be. We gave illustration of the body last week and of how we have that physical nature. God has given men to be that front or that image that God portrays. And we'll see more about that here in just a moment to be presented forward in worship services. And as presented in worship services, God tells a man as he's praying or teaching the word of God to not have his head covered. He should not wear a hat while preaching and teaching the word of God. We saw that Christ can be analogized to the soul. You see, the body is the body. It has some needs, but the soul is what directs and what moves the body. It's what we use. It's the soul that's directing my tongue to move. That's directing my mouth to speak. It is directing my actions. It is my soul. And Christ is to be the soul. He's to be the one that's directing the body, the image that God has portrayed. And then the Bible teaches us and gives us an analogy that the woman is to be portrayed as the spirit. And oh, how important that is. Women, you help set the spirit of the services. Your spirit greatly affects the worship service. It greatly affects in how a church moves and goes forward. It is vital, ladies, uh, that your spirit be a godly spirit for us to be effective in ministry. It is You set a vital part of the atmosphere. Years ago, um, we traveled from our home uh, about five and a half, six hours to a church to preach and teach. And this was in the States. And we were there to present the ministry that God was doing here in England. And as we were there, we began to have service on Sunday morning. And there was an initial moment. The church had a uh, Sunday school and adult Bible classes before the service and then a main service. They had two services, in essence, on a Sunday morning. And as we began Sunday school and began adult Bible class, we noticed that there was a different spirit. Every church is different, but this church had a different feel to it. Almost a contentious, can I put it that way? You almost felt like as if they were looking to find something wrong. And it was one of those times in which you didn't feel real comfortable. I just kind of dismissed it. And I have preached in so many churches, some that are happy and smiling, and some that are giving me a look like if I could get rid of you right now and terminate you, I would do that right now. Uh, And so I preached to a multitude of different cultures and and, and churches uh, throughout the years. And so I just kept on going and didn't think about it. Uh, the, the main service went better, I thought. Uh, there was uh, visitors and such, but 
again, there was something that wasn't quite right. There was one family that really connected with us and really we enjoyed talking with them. Didn't think anything much more about it. Went through the service. They had a uh, prophet's chambers or a, like a, an apartment that part of their church complex had on the grounds. And we retired there for the afternoon anticipating to stay the night there and then to drive back the next day because it was, again, a five and a half, six hour drive. In the afternoon, my wife brought up a question. wasn't really expecting it, but began to implore it or began to study it. And she says, do you think you would mind if we drove home that night? There's nothing like sleeping in your own bed. And we've slept in so many hotel rooms and so many places that sometimes just getting back home is a good thing. And I thought, well, we drove almost six hours the service isn't going to be over till eight, nine o'clock, maybe by the time we're done. We're not going to get home until two, three, four o'clock in the morning, depending on when we leave, because we have to pack and everything as well as go. And I thought, well, I'll think about it and such. The evening service came and we had a more, we had another service. And again, just there was something there. Couldn't tell what it was. My wife came up after me and after the service and says, before you talk, can we leave? I thought, okay, there's, there's something going on. I don't know what it is, but okay, we'll leave. And so I approached the pastor and said, you know, we've had a little bit of change in schedule. And if it's okay, we're going to go ahead and take off tonight and we're going to drive home. And as we were driving or getting ready to leave, my wife said something that she's not said very often throughout the years, but she says, we've got to get out of here. She says, the pastor's wife does not like me. She cannot stand me, and it is very obvious. I thought, really? I didn't get that vibe, but my wife was getting that stare, that look, that spirit and she began to relay just a few tidbits of conversations, and it was very obvious. There was a spirit about her that was not right. And it was evident, and it was bleeding into the church. People could tell it. So we drove home that night. And then a few weeks later, I get a call from the pastor the pastor's no longer there. This, no one knows where it is. No one knows the situation. So I'm not relaying any details, uh, even though by a live stream that anybody would put, put together. But uh, the pastor calls me, and he starts the conversation very differently. He says, I have to call you. I'm like, well, obviously, if you called. He says, my wife and I do not like you. I'm like, well, thank you. God bless you. <laughs> I appreciate that vote of confidence. That's an encouraging thing. He says, however, there is a family in our church that absolutely loves you. And they are insisting that we pick you up for support. He said, I told them no and tried to discourage them for doing so. He said, however, they're insistent. And so they are personally picking you up for support and they are going to be supporting. So we are going to support you. But we don't have to communicate much because we don't like you. 
thinking, God bless you. <laughs> I don't know if I should praise God or begin to pray for you. I'm not sure what to do. I'm thinking, I don't know what I did, what I said. I don't know how we looked, but there was something there. That pastor is no longer there. That church struggled. Why? Because there was a spirit there that wasn't right. Women, the spirit that you bring to the public service is vital. People pick up on it very quickly. It's important to have a right spirit. It's important to have a spirit that is where God desires. And having a right spirit gives knowledge to the head in which God is given. Again, the spirit is just as important as the body. Both have their role. If it wasn't for a living spirit in, my, uh, in me, I would not go to heaven. And if it wasn't for a body, I wouldn't be able to hear about the gospel of Christ as a five-year-old boy. It's vital. They're both equally important. But they have a place and a proper place. And when those places come together, God begins to work and to move in a mighty way. Secondly, we said the display of headship. We looked at verses number four and five, and we're not going to read those for sake of time this morning. But the Bible teaches us that men praying and preaching ought not to have their head covered to show honor, to show respect to Christ. And women who have a part in the service, praying or even teaching Sunday school or having part in testimonies like we had last week or having part of even a women's meeting or something like that. Again, the forefront and the image in which God portrays for the leadership of the church is to be through men. And we'll see why in just a moment. But the Bible teaches us that when roles, when opportunities like that occur, that a woman is to have her head covered. And the Bible says that that hair covering, as we saw and we'll see in just a few moments as well, is, of course, the hair. And God pictures and God shows that that is a picture of, again, identifying that, God, that this is the place in which God has. And I am paying respect to the men who have helped organize and helped prepare for this opportunity that a lady has to uh, teach or to pray in a worship-type service. And again, an atmosphere in so many different circumstances we go through. We're not going to go through the sake of time. Uh, we addressed some of that last week. And then next I want us to look at this morning as we continue through Scripture, the practice of headship. Again, Paul is going to be very clear. Again, Paul was very... Uh, 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 thorough, we could put it that way, and how he approached, almost legally uh, thorough in how he approached subjects. And so he wanted to make it ultra clear exactly what he just stated. And we'll see it here in verse number six as we look at the pre practice of headship. He says, verse number six, for if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. That word shorn there is the word speaking of a shearing or cropping it's actually a farming or agricultural term that they would use to shear or to shave sheep uh, he says just as a sheep is shaved or as cut or is sheared of its wool a woman is not to be shorn or shaved in that way god tells us that a woman's hair is to show glory to god and for a woman to pray 
or to teach uh, the word of God with her head shaven or shorn or sheared, the Bible says is a disgraceful. It's something that does not bring honor to God. It is a shame, the Bible says. And again, the Bible uses the word shame. My wife and I were talking about this after the service last week. So often I've heard over the years that it is sinful. The Bible says shame. It's disgraceful. God says it brings a reproach to the name of Christ. It does not bring glory to God. It is showing a role or displaying a role that God did not design women to be. And again, he's showing us how to practically apply this. Look at verse number seven. The Bible says, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head. For as much as he is the image and glory of God. We'll stop there for just a moment. The Bible tells us that a man is not to cover his head. The Bible says a man while teaching and preaching the word of God is to have it uncovered. Uh, I appreciate uh, Brother John telling me that it, I could be next week or next year look like Brother Stu. I appreciate that very much. Uh, a couple years ago, we went back to the States, and I remember, I think it was one of my brothers that came up to me and said, uh, you have less hair than I remember. I think I appreciate that very much. There's a reason why I moved thousands of miles away. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but uh, we'll see what the Lord does, that's for sure. Um, look, if, it, if I take my grandfather's genes, it, it, I, I could be behind you, I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, I'm on my way, yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, from one bald man to another one going that direction, I've seen the signs, you're, you're heading that way, I appreciate that very much. Yeah, I love you too, you can go, you can go now. <laughs> the Bible says, uh, but the Bible says that, uh, and teaches that a man ought not to cover his head. I'm going through that quickly because we want to get to the doctrine here. And Paul dives in a little deeper here, starting in verse number 7. I want us to get to the doctrine of headship here this morning. And so let me, uh, let's dive in. And I think when you see this and how God pieces this together, things are going to begin to click. Paul tells us the practice, how we should do it, and now he's going to teach us the why. He says, here's what you should do. Now let me explain why. Okay, here's the why. Look at verse number seven once again. For, indeed, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head. Notice this phrase now. For as much as he is, notice this phrase, image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. When my boys and even Samuel draw a picture when they were little they would maybe want to draw maybe a circle or try to draw something that they had in their mind and of course they would begin taking those uh, colored pencils or they would take some crayons and begin to try to draw and they would try to make it look like something and they had in their mind exactly what it was supposed to be and then they come and say look what i drew we look at it and we think, how can I tactfully say, what is this? They know exactly what it is. We're looking at it thinking, is that a rabbit or a TV antenna? 
is that, is that an alligator or is that a mouse? I'm not exactly sure. And we're trying to decipher, decipher and try to tactfully approach the conversation to find out exactly what it is. And I say, no, it's, it's the sun. That is beautiful. I'm so glad that's a sun. I thought it was a rabbit. I'm thankful it was. It is the sun. And they look and say, you know, can you help me draw a circle around the sun? Now, think about who they're asking. They're asking about someone who has hands about as steady as a blender machine. It's just, it's, 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 not, it's not good. Uh, my hands, there's a reason why I type nearly everything. Um, and I'll put my handwriting uh, or sign, sign a document. But beyond that, I don't do much because my hands are so unsteady and shake so much. And so... I'll sit there and I'll, at first couple times, you know, I try to draw the circle and it looks worse than theirs. And I'm thinking, okay, we got to figure a plan B here. What's the plan B? And then all of a sudden my mind recalls what I used to learn in art class is take a cup or a bowl and put it on the paper and draw around it. That helps. But even with shaky hands, sometimes you have a little bit of a uh, mark that goes here, there. And even though you're trying to be as steady as possible, I try to do my best to draw an image of what a or circle to represent what the sun is supposed to be. I'm trying to get the image to look like it is intended to look. I'm working on that image. I'm trying to get that image what is desired. With that thought, go to Genesis chapter 1, please. Genesis chapter 1, notice what the Bible says in verse number 26. Please don't miss this. This puts all the pieces of the puzzle together. And God said, let us, he's speaking to himself. Again, God's a triune God. We'll see in a moment we're made after his likeness. Or Adam was made after his likeness. But notice what the Bible says. Let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, make man in our image. God made man in his image. After our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, so God created man in his own image. God has said that twice now, in two verses. He's emphasizing that he has made man to be the image of God. But the Bible doesn't stop there. Look at continue verse number 27 in the image of god created he him male and female created he them and by the way that verse has not changed male and female but notice whom god said is to be the image of god the man men and women you are made in the image of god but God has chosen to sp display his image through men. Men are to display or to be the image, the picture of God. That is how God designed it. God designed men 
to draw a picture upon the hearts of his wife and his children and those whom he has the authority God has given over a picture of what it is like to work and be with God. That is God's design. Man is to be the body, as we said a moment ago, the picture of what God has designed. That's the choice. That's God's design. However, Men have failed miserably. And so, what did God do? Since men fell, since man fell, God made a plan. God had a design in mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Hold your place there in Genesis. We're going to come right back there. I know you're going to have a finger here and a finger there and a finger here. But we again, we're looking at some doctrine here this morning. This is so good when you see it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, notice what the Bible says in verse number 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, notice this phrase, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Men failed, to display the image of God like God intended. Man has failed miserably. Uh, I'm sure there's probably some wives that are punching their husbands right now. That's right, you failed. You failed miserably. That's okay, men. We'll be able to rip, rip back here in just a moment. I'm just teasing. But men have failed. So what did God do? God sent Jesus, his son, yes, to be the sacrifice but also he showed us how it is to be done. He showed us what it is like to be the image of God. He showed us what it is like to once again help our image, the picture we are drawing upon the hearts of our spouse, the image that we are drawing upon the next generation, the image in which we are drawing upon the ministry that God has given us. We are to be drawing a of Christ and God has set an example for us and that example is look uh, needs to look no further than Jesus Christ he is the example we are to look for he is the example we are to follow and to emulate he is the one that we are to pattern or to describe our life after John 14, 9, when Jesus was asked about seeing the Father, the Bible tells us this, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Jesus said, you're asking, us to show, or you're asking me to show the Father. He says, but I am the image of God. You're seeing me, you are seeing God. This is how God designed, this is what God desired. And as you want to see God, your life should be patterned after what I am displaying upon you, after what I am drawing upon your heart. You see, man was intended to display the wisdom, the goodness, love, and power of God and was created to that end. He was also created to display God's glory and to manifest his greatness and his majesty. 
He was indeed a noble being when he came fresh from the hands of his creator. Much of the original image and glory has been tarnished as a result of sin, but enough remains to set man apart from the rest of creation. And God in the church has designed men to pattern their life after the image of God, Jesus Christ, to do what? To show us how we can be conformed to God. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 29, the Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, he's chosen us, he has elected us, he has chosen every man here to be what? The image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. Or excuse me, uh, to, uh, excuse me, for he, he did conform to be the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Skipping verses there just a moment ago. But the Bible tells us that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. And as we are conformed to the image of Christ, that is the image in which God desired. God has chosen every man here to be the picture of Christ, to be the picture of God, to draw that perfect son. S-O-N. Upon the hearts of others. That's what God has chosen. That is what God designed. That is his, the place of worship. He's designed that. And what a responsibility that is. That's a great responsibility. Because if I don't get it quite right, guess what it does? It gives people, my, my wife, my children, the church, a false picture of what God is. Now thank God he's given us the wonderful opportunity to forgive people. And when we, as men, fail, God gives us the opportunity to say, okay, you messed up. All right, let's get it right. Let's pick, get, pick, let's pick ourselves back up and let's continue. The just man falls seven times and yet rises up again. If you fall, get back up. Don't sit there and become an internal mess of, well, I'm not worthy of this. None of us are worthy of it. But thank God he's chosen us to be that image. God's design is for man to be the display of God. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 here. Keep your place there in Genesis. We're going to go right back there in just a moment. 1 Corinthians 11, notice the Bible says, For indeed a man ought not to cover his head, for as much he is the image, now notice this phrase, and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of, man, uh, of the man. Now, here, Paul is agreeing exactly with Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to look back at it in just a moment. He's not taking away the image of God from the woman. He's just simply saying both are made in the image of God. He understands that. But he understands that the man's role is to be that display. But notice he then shows how that display or the significance of the glory with that. The Bible says the man is supposed to be the glory of God. That word glory there speaks of a brilliance or a radiant beauty. Paul provides in this context here, 
he shows us what it was like and teaches us what it is like to show the glory of God. Notice what the Bible continues in verse number eight and nine. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Notice this phrase, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. What is Paul doing? Paul is taking our minds back to Genesis chapter 1. Go back there and look at those verses with me. I'm going to go a little bit out of order. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, if you would, in the slides, David. I apologize, I didn't have it in there twice. Um, but we need to see this in order to continue in Genesis here in just a moment. I want us to notice here in Genesis chapter 1, look at verse number 26, please. The Bible says, let us make man in our image. Again, please do not forget that. After our likeness. Okay, when man was created, we were made in the image of God and in the likeness of God. When man failed, we are no longer made in the likeness of God. We are now made in the likeness of Adam. What is that speaking of? That speaks that we all need to be saved. Because when I am born in the likeness of Adam, that means I am born now, yes, in the image of, I'm supposed to portray the image of God, but I am born needing a Savior just like Adam needed a Savior. Spiritually, I'm dead, the Bible says. I'm born in the likeness of Adam. We can see that in Genesis 5 and 6. We're not going to turn there for sake of time. But that's a key element and a key ideology that we understand that God made man to show his image. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 27 once again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Paul is not taking away from these verses. Matter of fact, he is very much fortifying these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But he in the role he is saying look god created man for a purpose the man was to show not only the image of god but he is to show the radiant beauty or the glory of god go to genesis chapter 2 please look at verse number 18 and i'm being a little doctrinal a little thorough here this morning but it's key for us to understand this if we are going to understand the reasoning for the practicality of having a head covered or head uncovered um, in our role in worship. The Bible says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet. Remember those words. We're going to come back to in just a moment. For him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air. And he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an help meet for him. Stop there for just a moment. The Bible teaches us that Adam was brought every living creature. And he was given the knowledge, the wisdom, the understanding to be able to name every living thing. Why do we call an elephant an elephant? Because that's what Adam named it. Why do we call an alligator an alligator? Because that's what Adam named it. Think of the understanding and the wisdom and the knowledge that had to come with that. God gave man a great gift and a strength in understanding and thinking through things. 
this understanding draws attention. It draws attention to Christ because He is the head. He knows all. He understands everything. There's not one thing God does not understand. I saw a couple things this week about some scientific reports about some things that man has discovered, the reason why certain things happen. We are still trying to understand things that God says that's simple. God knows it all. And God gave man a strength in knowledge and in being guided by thoughts and by carefully thinking things through. That's the basic strength. Now, I understand that we could look and we could see women, or there are some women who could outthink almost any man. I'm not discarding that. But the basic nature of man is to have a life that is thoughtfully progressed, thoughtfully led, usually led by the mind, usually led by the head. And that draws attention to what God had desired. God had placed. God desires man to show the intellect and the knowledge of God going forward. It is to draw attention and to the role in which God has designed as the leader of the relationship. Then notice what the Bible continues to say. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. God here draws attention to the woman and her place, again, in the relationship. Again, they are both equal. The Bible says help meet. God has made woman to be the help meet. That word help meet it comes from two words. When you put together, it almost seems to be ironic contradictory and yet compatible all in the same time it's a unique phraseology the word help means fulfillment she fulfills how does she fulfill well the bible teaches us and demonstrates for us that a woman is usually led by her heart i know there are some women who uh, men who are excuse me are very much led by their heart and led by how things feel at the moment and i and i understand that however the basic nature and the basic statement applies to most women that women are led by the heart watch this god has fulfilled adam who's led by the head to be completed or fulfilled by the woman who is led by the heart if you have someone who is thinking with care, it makes a strong unit. How many times can one think through a situation and say, that's exactly what you should do? 
But if you're not careful, you can go through in a very calloused and a very poor-mannered way, kind of like a bull in a china shop, as the saying goes. Making a mess of things, why? Because it's the right way, but the way, in, it's the right direction, it's the right thing to do, but the way in which it was put forward, it leads a mess. That's what a wife is supposed to help us meet, is supposed to help us to bring some heart to our thinking, to bring some grace to the conversations, to bring some feeling to what we are pressing forward. It fulfills us. The heart needs the head. The head needs the heart. The woman fulfills, brings a heart with, to the relationship. But then that word meet is a unique word as well. It actually means opposite and toward or yet a likeness. <laughs> Look at that, and well, that's all in one word. <laughs> yes, it is. Fulfills opposite, yes. We know that they are the opposite gender. They're opposite. They do things, they feel things, they have different things that interest them. They're opposite, and yet they're toward. Yet the desire is to come and to be one unit. The desire is for that love and that attention from the husband and then that is to be a likeness <laughs> in essence the woman is to help express the likeness that god has intended i can't do that alone i need to help me thank god that he is given help meets thank god that he has made man and woman both vital roles you cannot that's why the bible says they're one flesh that's why god says it's not intended to ever separate those two because if you separate the heart from the head that's a tragic thing it's a traumatic thing that ought not to be god intended for it to be one flesh a help me The Bible teaches us that this is key and vital in understanding. Because if we understand this very thought of the woman is to be, uh, uh, is to help the man to be the likeness and to express that image of God that God intended, and that that relationship is to be unique and to be wed and to be inseparable. It helps us to understand and to put picture into what Paul says next in our text. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 10. I know we're at verse number 10, and it's 12.09. I hate that clock. I really do. <laughs> uh, all right, here we go. Let's, let, let's kick it in high gear here. Uh, verse number 10. We have this phrase that almost throws us off, but it is perfectly adhering to what we just stated. Notice the Bible says, for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Paul here is empowering the women of the first century church. In the synagogue, 
before the church, women played little to no part in the worship. Devout Jewish men would actually thank God that they had not been created women. How sad and how troublesome and how wrong-spirited that is. God never taught that nor intended that. No matter how many women would gather to hear the law read, it would not ever be considered a minion or a synagogue unless there were ten or men, ten or more men practicing, uh, a practicing Jewish men that would gather together. When there was ten men, there could have been a thousand women, but if there was ten men finally that were gathering together, a synagogue would finally meet. This is the culture in which we are seeing Paul address here. And this is vital because sometimes we can take the scripture and misapply it. And we need to know the understanding of the culture and context of it. And so Paul here was giving authority or was stating that it is okay for women to have a part in the church. It's okay for them to have to give a testimony. It's okay for them to teach and uh, 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 to have different roles within the church. It's okay for a woman to sing. It's okay for a woman to play the piano. That would not be before the church. It would be very constrictive, and Paul was saying it's okay, and they ought to be. They help bring, as we stated a moment ago, a spirit to the church that is vital. And again, there's roles. A man is to be the pastor. Men are to be the deacons. God tells us that there are some specific places that only a man is to take in the church. But it is okay for women to have a part in the worship services. And God, or Paul, was helping through this, or was uh, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, was opening up this role. And as we see this all tied together here because of this last phrase that we look at and we scratch our heads because of the angels. Now, you remember what we spoke about just a moment ago where man is thinks mostly with his head and women are generally led by the heart? Don't forget that because we're going to tie it together here in just a moment. Because we hear because of the angels and we think, well, what? <laughs> what does that have to do with a woman having her head covered as she prays or teaches. What does that have to do with it? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 with me, please. Look at verse number 12. Peter here gives an insight to this. hope I'm not boring you this morning. I'm trying to help us to see some doctrine here this morning. It's good for us to know what we believe. and We, need to, we only know what we believe if we see the doctrine behind it. The Bible says, unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, verse number 12, excuse me, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things, notice this phrase, the angels desire to look into. Peter here is giving the insight, insightfulness that the angels of God are interested and look at what is happening in the church. They pay attention. The Bible teaches us in Hebrews that we can entertain angels unawares. There are times where we see someone come into church and we never see them again. 
In fact, we try to follow up on them and MI6 cannot find them. They're gone. Why? Could that not be an angel unaware? I don't know. But it's possible that we have entertained some angels unaware. So God tells us that there are angels who are interested in what we are doing in the worship and in glorifying God. They watch us. That ought not to totally take us by surprise because the Bible says, for where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst. There's more than two or three here this morning. So because of that, we can confidently state, according to the word of God, that God himself is here. God is with us. So if God is with us, why should it take us for surprise that God has some angels sitting in these chairs that we don't even know are here yet this morning? Is that, po- is that, is that out of the realm of the possibility of God? Of course not. God does some things in which we truly one day will be astounded at. The Bible tells us that there was a great host of an army that was behind Elijah And he prayed, saying, God, would you let the eyes of this man be opened? And the Bible says he saw a great host, a huge army. He couldn't see him before, but it was a great spiritual army that was there. There there is, I believe, a spiritual army with us here this morning. They're watching and seeing. Now, with that in mind, let me draw our minds back to Genesis here for just a moment. Don't want to turn there for sake of time. We said a moment ago that, of course... A woman's strength is normally her heart. In Genesis chapter 3, what did Satan do? He did not attack her strength. He attacked her weakness. What was her weakness? He had a doctrinal, intellectual discussion with Eve. I'm not saying, women, that's your strength or, 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 or not your strength this morning. This was apparent in Eve's case that her strength is exactly what God designed. And it was her heart. And so Satan came and tempted her intellectually. He began to talk with her about what is right or wrong to do. And that maybe God said something wrong. Three times she begins to refute what Satan had said by misquoting God's word. He raised in her mind doubt about God's word. He followed it up with a denial about God and his word and ended it with a delusion. He offered her then to begin uh, to be set free from the hampering restrictions imposed by God and his word and bestowed upon her a godlike status that she was deceived and overthrown as she ate of the fruit. Eve was deceived. However, what did Satan do to get Adam to take of that fruit? He had to do very little. He had to do practically nothing at all because adam then would have a temptation attacked to his heart what was his strength his head but he looked at the woman whom he loved eve now recognizing 
sin. Now in a state of brokenness. He looked upon his wife whom he wanted to be with and God designed to be with. And he chose to partake of that fruit. He knew what he was doing was wrong. But he allowed his heart to be led astray. And when he did so, he sinned. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. The Bible says in verse number 19 of the same chapter, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Adam chose to sin. He knew what he was doing was wrong. He knew that he was taking the wrong choice. But he chose to do it because he wanted to be with Eve. What happened? The roles that God designed, man to lead with the head and woman to fulfill with the heart, became reversed. Now, there was a different leadership. Now there was a different headship. It was out of place. It was reversed in what God designed. And the Bible teaches us that a woman wearing long hair is a physical way of expressing her love for God and the love that God has given her in her design place, in her design role. Again, equal, but a design role. And so when a woman wears her hair long, it is an outward expression, knowingly or unknowingly, of a desired role to be where it was God created. And when the angels, the Bible teaches us, see a woman worshiping God, showing glory to the man by wearing her hair long, it is an identification that she wants to be in the designed role, the designed place that God has made for her in the worship service. Are you with me? It's a picture. It's an outward uh, it's, it's an outward symbol, it's an outward picture of what God is doing in one's heart, that God is changing, God is restoring, and I want to be in the place and the role in which God has desired, and it shows a reversal of what the world's picture is, and it is putting things to where God desires and where God uh, uh, is honored. It is a picture of what God has wanted. And a way of saying, I believe and I trust that. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 11 with me. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man and the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things are of God. This is, this is a quick synopsis or a quick, uh, uh, again, very legal terminology in stating, if it wasn't for man, there would be no woman. But if it wasn't for woman, there will be no more men. 
And we understand that. That's how God created it. God created man and woman to be one, one flesh to what? To multiply. That's how God desired. That's how God designed it. And Paul gives homage to that and to the creation in which God has given here in verse number 11 and 20, again, to show the role that there is an equality in a team working together, one flesh, the fulfillment, and how important that fulfillment is. But then he shows in verses number 13 and 14, uh, 15, and we're skipping some things, and I hope I'm uh, explaining this as well as my notes are laid out. I want us to see quickly the adoption of headship. In other words, the adoption of what God has desired. Okay, here's what God wants. He's restoring my life. He's showing me how to express it right now. God is telling us in Paul, uh, through the Holy Spirit of God, through Paul, how we can adopt this. Look at verse number 13. Judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? So he says, is it comely? Is it fitting? That word comely means fitting or pleasing to, pleasing to the eyes. Paul says, now think about it. With that doctrine uh, given that a woman shows honor or glory to the man, gives beauty to the relationship and to design role that God has desired, is it fitting for a woman to pray uncovered? It's a rhetorical question, reaffirming what he just taught. The answer, of course, would be no. He gives almost a, it's not right for a woman to usurp her place in the church and to pray uncovered, shaven or shorn in that way. And then notice how Paul continues, doth not na even nature itself Again, rhetorical question, and then he follows it up with some natural facts. I teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given for a covering. The Bible teaches us that nature itself teaches that a man is to have short hair and a woman is to have long hair. That's her covering. And that's what God desired. That was God's plan. Again, God is not trying to hurt anyone, but he's rather trying to say, I want you to show the image that I've created you for. Men, we are created to be the image of God. God designed us to show the glory of what his creation is. A head uncovered is what gives glory to God. It is what makes a beauty and a radiance to God. And for a woman to have short hair, it is a shame. Just as it is a shame for a man to have long hair, it is shameful according to the word of God. It doesn't bring God glory. And God has a design and a purpose for it. Again, because he wants us to have that relationship with him that honors and glorifies him. And then he follows it up with verse number 16. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. He looks and he knew of the sensitivity of this subject. He understood that when this was going to be read, it probably wasn't going to be well received by many. It's not a popular subject today. I understand that. I'm just teaching what the Bible says. We're allowing God to lead us in his word. 
And whether you're looking at me through the camera with eyes that could kill, or whether you're saying, okay, God, uh, okay, this is what the Bible says. However, we look, this is just God's word. We've not, we've just followed it. He says, when it comes to accepting this doctrine or rejecting it, he says, wait a minute, if someone be contentious, if someone is disagreeable about this, begins to dispute this, he said, there's no place for this in the church. There's no place for someone to have a disagreement about what God has taught us. It's what God instructed. I'm not going to force anyone to do so. Everyone is welcome in this church, as we know. It doesn't matter what color. doesn't matter what culture you're from. doesn't matter what has gone on in your life. Everyone is loved and welcomed. All are welcome, and we mean that. We don't go and say, okay, you've got to have certain hairstyle in order to come. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit of God lead God and direct your heart, just like he lead God and directs my heart. And as we grow together in Christ and we see the word of God, Paul says there's no place, there ought not to be a disagreement for what God has designed. God intends for a church to see the scripture and for it to adjust our heart and life for us to be changed and move forward with what god has desired god has designed place of worship and that design place is for truly men to give the glory the image of god and for women to show that image of god by glorifying the role in which god has designed in the church god is perfect there is no wrong with what god has given in fact when we apply this, it is amazing how God begins to move and work in our hearts in a profound way. God loves it when we adopt his word. I forget what the, uh, my wife reposted it on Facebook, and I'm forgetting the terminology, but R.A. Tory mentioned uh, or gave a, uh, a quote uh, years ago that our hearts should be just as encouraged or just as led by God uh, giving guidance to our hearts as it is giving us encouragement to our hearts. You know, so often we look and we think, okay, I love it when God encourages me through his word. And we adopt it and we think, yes, hallelujah. But our hearts should be just as adopting to the times in which he instructs our heart. Because is not the encouragement just as important as the instruction? They're all equal. They're all vitally important. And God, in his Holy Spirit, does what it can in our hearts and lives. Again, he's not hurting us. He's helping us to see how we can truly have our designed role and place in the local church.